Ho-ho! Welcome to Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Ryan McChrystal. Ryan, uh, here we are. Uh, a little bit, uh, the, the deadness of the, the offseason uh, a little bit, but uh, we have uh, something planned. But before we uh, get into that, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, it is kind of a dead season, so we've got to come up with some more gimmicky type stuff to get us through these podcasts. But I think we've got a, a fun game planned for today. Yeah, it feels like this is the the prime uh, season for like drafting things on NFL podcasts. Uh, feels like there was there was a lot of that already this week, uh, and we're uh, we're diving into that a little more. So today we are going to do an under twenty five draft. So drafting uh, players like a, a pseudo team, uh, a little bit of players under twenty five. Um, so how we're going to be doing the age cutoff is they have to be younger than 25 years old uh, before September 1st. Um, so if they are uh, 25 anytime before the season starts, um, they are not eligible, which I think does, you know, so if you're, you're hearing some young guys that we're not picking, uh, there is a bunch of guys who, you know, would be really good on like a 25 year old team uh, that like just missed the cutoff. So if you're, if you're mad that we're missing some guys, it's probably because they're, they're right on the age cutoff. And that is going to make like some positions uh, quite interesting here as we get into it. Yeah, definitely. It does hurt some positions, most notably quarterbacks. So don't be expecting Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray. All of them would have been on last year's uh, draft board, not available this year. So that's a position that gets a little bit of a hit. Yeah, and there, there are a couple other guys. Uh, you know, uh, TJ Hawkinson, a tight end, uh, is going to turn 25 in July, so he's going to miss our very arbitrary cutoff, but that was just the, the easiest way uh, for us to prepare for this. So what we're going to do, we're just going to do uh, a, a draft here. We're not going to put together a full like 22-person team because that would uh, take too long. So we are going to go uh, f- just 14 rounds, which is still, I think... Uh, a lot, but we're going to do one quarterback, running back, two wide receivers, tight end, two offensive linemen. That could be any position on the offensive line, two defensive linemen. So that's going to be edge or interior, a linebacker, two corners and two safeties, just to kind of get the assumption of like a, a full team ish uh, without going a full 22 players. So there is not going to be any order needed uh, to fill those positions in the draft we're not going to go quarterback then running back um and i think that that brings some game theory into you know some of the depth at these positions which i think we'll we'll see very early on uh, as we get into this draft but it team just has to be filled out by by the end of the draft so i think with those i think we got the, the rules in place um so because of i think there's a very clear number one here uh, of where we're going to go so uh, we're going to go whoever gets the first pick and we're about to flip a coin for that. Whoever gets the first pick uh, is going to go. The next person is going to go twice and then we'll just go back and forth uh, after that because uh, that kind of ends up making it a little more even. So, Ryan, I'm going to pull up a coin flipper and I will allow you to uh, call heads or tails. All right, I'll go with tails. All right. All right. And it is tails. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, going to assume you would like to go first. Yeah, I would definitely like to go first. I did have a strategy prepared just in case, and I, I felt pretty good about my backup plan. But uh, with the first pick, like we said, since there's a bunch of 25-year-old quarterbacks who are eliminated, 
the obvious choice is Justin Herbert at number one. There's definitely a drop off after him. And I don't think we need to say too much about it. Just looking at the other names that are available at 24. And I'm, I'm sure you'll, uh, man, I'll leave the other names to be mentioned when you make your pick at quarterback, but th- there's definitely a drop off. He's really the only guy here who uh, has clearly established himself as like a long-term NFL starter. I think there's certainly some exciting other quarterbacks available, uh, but he's the only guy who's kind of already put himself in that, like at least, you know, top 15, you know, tier of quarterbacks. I'll save debates on where exactly he belongs for another podcast, but uh yeah, I mean, there's not too much to say. Given the our other options here, he's the number one pick. Yeah, it, it makes it the what he probably would have been, you know, uh, up here even if we had some of those other guys. I think you mm-hmm. could make. I it would have been a more fun case if there was Burrow, and I think we maybe would have an argument that I still would have taken Herbert um, in that group. Um, yeah, I mean, when you just look at what he did last year, right? Uh, fourth in e- EPA per dropback, uh, which is something that. But could have been even higher. I think uh, Rich and I kind of talked about it either last week or two weeks ago, um, how they were using some of those, you know, they were very conservative on early downs uh, and then let him go into God mode on third downs. And if we see them open it up uh, just a, a little more on first and second down this year, like this could be an even bigger year uh, for Herbert. So it's it's really exciting. And I mean, he's he's really good. Like I think you can say, like argue easily top five quarterback in the league right now, um, you would think. And then there's, there's still potential to grow, which... Uh, is is insane and for how young he is heading into his third year which really separates him also yeah i mean the numbers that he's put up the production he's had when you look at how they're they're play calling for him they're really still kind of easing him into things which it's just incredible that he's still able to produce at the level that he has when they're still kind of uh treating him like a young quarterback that he still is they're not putting too much on his plate so yeah within the next two to five years, maybe even this year, I think like an MVP ceiling is within reach. Yeah. I, I uh, would not say that's uh, crazy to say. And I, I think he's probably going to be like one of those, as we get closer to the season, we start doing some betting things. I, I feel like Herbert's going to be a, a very popular, um, you know, preseason MVP uh, type pick, which is, is justified again. Um, so, okay. So that, brings it to me for for two picks and i could uh i can sit on quarterback for a while because you can't take another one so uh, i'm going to go at a position where there is uh not a lot of of depth uh at uh under uh, 25 uh so i'm going to take kyle pitts and uh he's going to be 22 this year which was insane he played all of uh, last year as a 21 year old um so just to kind of see what he did lining up kind of all over uh, i think it's going to be really interesting to to see with him and drake london um when you look at what he did putting up you know a thousand yards in in that offense you know again we talked about it the first uh, tight end to do that since um like since mike dicka um then when you just like he's so easily just kind of translates to what we thought he could potentially be uh, coming in and slotting that in year one. They Atlanta used them all around uh, the offense. He was out wide. He was in the slot. He played some, you know, actual inline tight end. Um, and just like the, the athleticism translated, uh, he was, you know, beating guys one-on-one, just kind of everything, especially at a position where it usually it takes guys uh, a year or two. I think we're, when we talk about like wide receivers, like these guys, those guys are, are coming in and, and producing 
producing more in year one. That wasn't exactly the case for, for tight end. It still takes, you know, two or three years for some of these guys to, to really pick up some of the nuances of that position at the NFL. Um, it helps that, you know, Pitts is playing a little more of a wide receiver role than like a typical tight end. But again, I, when you look at kind of the depth of, of what is there at tight end for the under 25, it's like, it's Kyle Pitts. And then there's, there's a bit of a drop off. Yeah, for sure. He was definitely part of my backup plan if I didn't get the number one pick for that same reason. And as far as like a team building standpoint, like, you know, obviously if we were building a team, tight end would not normally be an early round pick, but you mentioned how they move him around, how he plays so much wide receiver. I think for the same reasons why it felt reasonable that they take him as high as they did in the draft, like it's reasonable for you to take him as your first pick in a draft that we're doing here because, you know, he is more than just a tight end. Like, obviously, that's, you know, what we're going to call him, what the Falcons are going to call him for negotiating purposes in the future. Uh, but that could get messy because he's a lot more than that. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I wrote about this um, just, I guess it was too often, maybe before this offseason, whenever Travis Kelsey and George Kittle got their new deals and they, like, reset the tight end market, like, a little bit. But they're still like well below the other wide receivers. And I think when you have receiving, uh, you know, options like that, uh, even if, you know, they are technically tight ends, like they're they're getting underpaid just because they are labeled tight ends uh, and because that market hasn't completely reset. And I think like we might well, eventually it's going to be, you know, three, four years before Kyle Pitts gets that chance. But I like we'll see guys like that start to get uh, paid, I think, a little closer to um closer to some of those wide receivers uh, because they, they are producing like that and are showing that type of, um, you know, that type of production in, in the receiving game. So like when, you know, Kelsey and Kittle are getting like $15 million a year. Um, and, and at that time, the top of the wide receiver market was like 20. And now we're seeing it. It's, it's, you know, 25, 30. Yeah. So I think we are going to see some of those contracts uh, uh, build up, although there is not a lot of guys like Pitts, but we'll see it from like maybe a, a, We'll we'll talk about some of the other tight ends here. Hawkinson might be you know that that next guy who we'll we'll see where that goes. Um, so uh, I am up again uh, for this second one. So I'm going to go another thing, not necessarily a, a position where I would you know build a team around, but I think because of the depth here, uh, I'm going to take Mika Parsons as, as a linebacker. Uh, you know, I think there's not a lot of guys who have his type of skill set. Uh, I think he came in um, and you know played coverage better than I think we kind of uh, expected uh, he was going to be. He was one of the, you know, better linebackers uh, in yards allowed uh, per coverage snap. I have him here as uh, 11th uh, among linebackers with, I think, 150 coverage snaps. Um, so, like, that was going to be the the one thing we kind of worried about when he came in. Like, would he be able to hold up in coverage? And you know, he was able to. And then you take what he was able to do when, uh, he was, you know, playing downhill as a linebacker, and then you know he played edge uh, quite a bit. Uh, he was rushing on like almost, um, you know, uh, almost a quarter of his, you know, defensive snaps, and had the highest pressure rate like when he did so. So uh, the guy who can just kind of do a little bit of everything uh, at a really high level, and uh, it's only going to be twenty two. I don't think there's there's really another linebacker uh, in the league who has like that skill set of high level traits as so many places. Um, so I think he's an easy one to go, like just because of, again, like the, the depth of where we are at linebacker too. Yeah. I mean, these two picks you made were exactly what my backup plan was as well. I think it was a pretty obvious pivot. If you couldn't get her written number one. Yeah. I think that was, these. yeah. Not only is there a drop-off, but Parsons is pretty 
is kind of like comparable to Pitts in the sense that he's not just a linebacker. Yeah. Like we've seen him so much on the edge and he's so effective blitzing. And I think that that's what really sets a linebacker like him apart. And I think that, you know, as we're seeing teams sort of, um, especially in the drafts and a little bit in free agencies too, steer away from investing in the linebacker position. I think these types of, of linebackers are going to start to separate themselves in the same way that Pitts type tight ends are going to separate themselves in terms of how they get, uh, handled in the draft and how they get paid in free agency because having a guy who can be a strong off-ball linebacker but then can also move around on defense and sometimes line up on the edge and still provide value there that's just you know as defensive coordinators you know the way to combat these you know spread offenses and whatnot having a guy that can move around and do multiple things on defense is just so valuable so someone like Parsons I think you know, even if we were just looking at his skills as an off-ball linebacker, he's the top option for us in this, based on how we've set this draft pool. And then you factor in all the other things that he can do as a pass rusher, and it just like elevates what elevate his value to your defense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things like, and maybe we'll we'll see some more guys like all of the Georgia guys like have somewhat of the potential just because of like how that Georgia defense was like structured mm -hmm. uh, where the defensive line just kind of took up space and those guys were, were blitzing at a high rate and most of them were, were good at it. So we'll see how like some of those guys get used. Um, but yeah, I think that that's going to be like, you're either going to be the guy who can play like really well in coverage. Uh, like we've tried to see like some, some teams try to like figure out who the next Fred Warner is going to be like that safety yeah. kind of hybrid. Cause Fred Warner like played some like safety and slot at, at BYU. Yeah. And then now he's a, one of the best coverage linebackers, you know, in the league, or you're going to see the guys who can, you know, really be, be that type of blitzer. Uh, and the Parsons right now is just kind of showing uh, a little bit of everything. So uh, we'll go to you for, uh, for the next pick. Yeah, so for the next pick, this is where it gets a little bit trickier. I don't think there's an obvious pick. I do think there's one other position where there's a drop-off, but I'm not going to go that route because I'm going to do a little bit of a – factor in a little positional value. And I'm going to go with Nick Bosa okay. as the first defensive lineman off the board. There are good other good options here. So, like, missing out on Bosa, you're still going to have other options. But I do think he stands out as the fairly obvious number one pick at this position. You know, just what what he does and also a little bit of versatility too and what he can do you could certainly move him around your defensive line if you were like building a team you know for the 49ers they don't move him around all that much but he, he has that type of a skill set like if we're building a team from scratch he's the type of guy who would be an early pick because you can do a lot with a type with a player like that so I, I think he's the obvious choice as the first uh edge rusher off the board for me yeah that that makes uh, a ton of sense, um, especially when you like look at what he did. And, and for is another one like kind of like Herbert, like we're going to be drafting a bunch of guys that like only had a rookie year. Um, and uh, for guys like Herbert and Bosa, they're they're really young uh, coming in for it. So, um, you know, Bosa is not going to again, he's eligible for the draft. So he's not going to be 25 before the start of the season. Um, so that that really uh, is, is impressive. And I think when you look at it um, and that he was, uh, you know, had a super high pressure rate when, when he was on the field, um, I think he was, you know, 14th um, uh, among uh, defensive uh, ends and, and linebackers, uh, if you put them all together. So um, yeah, it's, I mean, again, he came in, you know, one of the best at, at the position, like pretty much as, as soon as he stepped on the field, um, you know, has already fought through an injury uh, a bit and, you know, has returned to being able to produce. So 
again, yeah, it's that's one of those things where he's very easily, you know, one of one of the top guys. Um, all right, so for mine, this is this is an interesting because uh, I think now there are some some really good. There's, there, I think there's, there's better depth at, at some of these other uh, positions now, and again, there, yeah. there is still some at, at defensive line. Um, you know, better I think, depth and also not as many uh, clear cut number one. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. So I think, yeah, it does. It will get very interesting um, how we fill out the rest of this. And again, we're we're only at uh, round three now. Um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Tristan Wirfs. Um, going to be 23 uh for this season uh has already become one of the better tackles uh in the league i think if you look at uh blown block rate per from sports info solutions he had the lowest uh, blown block rate among tackles uh with at least 400 snaps played um i think we kind of saw when he wasn't playing uh for the buccaneers how that significantly changed what they were able to do and kind of how effectively they could play offense um late in the season uh, he just kind of came in and has already been just one of the the best um offensive tackles uh in pass blocking and run blocking uh which again we don't really see a lot of these you know well-rounded tackles especially that early uh so for him to to come in already uh be one of those guys coming into year three now is only going to be 23 so uh i think i'm i'm going to go there yeah so this is another one i mean this Worst was certainly on my list of players to be drafted, but he actually wasn't my first one on the top of the list in offensive line. So I think there's uh, maybe a top two or three at tackle, and Worst was among those. Um, but yeah, easily justifiable. I mean, another one of these guys that uh, has already established himself as one of the best at the position, like we talked about with both Herbert and Bosa. Like he's already among the best at his position, and he has the youth to say that like he could get even better. Like hall of fame type trajectory with his career at this point, based on how he's performed uh, very early on. Um, so with, for my next pick, I'm going to go after another position that we haven't addressed yet. Another position where I don't know that this guy is necessarily going to be number one on both of our boards, but I'm going to take Jamar chase at wide receiver. Okay. Um, it's, that was a tough choice for me to try to sort through the wide receivers. And there is some depth here, but I, I really like, what Chase did, um, he exceeded my expectations for him as a rookie. And I think that he really answered um, some of the questions that I had about him coming into the draft to the point where now I, I see him as being just like a complete all around number one wide receiver. What he was able to do, the, the, uh, the threat that he was able to provide after the catch yeah. was really stood out to me as something that improved over his career at LSU. I thought, at LSU, the thing that I knew he was going to be able to do for the Bengals as a rookie was stretch the field. Like he was so dangerous at LSU doing that. But on some of the shorter routes, he was a little bit inconsistent. He wasn't necessarily picking up chunk yardage with consistency if he didn't have like an immediate uh, running lane at LSU. And so I sort of had some doubts as to not, not as to what his ceiling was in that area, because he obviously had the athleticism, but I had some doubts as to what he would do immediately. And yet, as a rookie, he was one of the most dangerous threats in the league in that area. Um, using some stats from True Media PFF, I looked up um, this uh, adjusted uh, yards after the catch based on routes. So, like, if you look at different routes, obviously there's a different yak expectation for each type of route. And so right. if you 
look at the expected yak for each route and the routes on which players had a reception on, you can see like what was their percentage above below expectations. And Chase actually ranked second in the league, 65% more yak than expected based on the routes in which he had a reception. Number one in the league was Debo Samuel, which I think right. we probably could have guessed that one. But for Chase to be number two up there with a guy like Debo Samuel, but also with good size and the ability to stretch the field, like he's just such a complete player. And to do it as a rookie, like the sky's the limit, I think, for what he can be. So, I mean, maybe not the best game theory approach to taking Chase here because this is a, a deep position, but I, I'm just – uh, I'm really excited about what he can do in that Bengals offense. I, I think he could establish himself as kind of the number one receiver in the league within the next two to three years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, you know, wrote about this a little bit when I was looking at, you know, some of, you know, how Joe Burrow was was winning. And one of the things that really stood out with, with Chase is one, he was like, they were running a lot of go balls, right? So mm-hmm. uh, he was running a lot of uh, go routes and, and those were working. Um, but then, like you said, that, that stuff after the catch. Um, and when you look, I think I you know, put up a chart in one of those. It might have been in, in a first and 10 um, this year of uh, like a dot and yards after the catch. And Jamar Chase was like all the way in, in the upper right with a fairly high a dot, but also fairly high yards after the catch, which is a, a, a dumber way of, of saying uh, what you were saying with, uh, you know, actually putting together yards after the catch, you know, over expectation. Um, but yeah, it's just, he's one of those guys that just, you know, can, we saw it immediately like wins on every level uh, of the field. Uh, so, you know, going to get uh, a no no fight here definitely uh on my list I, I was interested to see where we were going to go with wide receivers because it's, it's one of those things where you, you maybe we could have you know waited uh, a little bit because there there are some you know really good guys there um so but also like when when we're looking at the top of talent like i, I don't blame you for going to wide receivers because when you look at like some of these other positions they're not like quite as exciting um as you could you know potentially you know be getting a jamar chase so exactly yeah that was sort of my strategy like let's let's go out and get the guy that i feel like has established himself already even if there's other good options there as opposed to going for another position where maybe there's a drop-off but like a less established option there right that's kind of like where i am looking at you know this board too like i certainly especially because you just already took a wide receiver like i don't have to go there but i kind of like want to because as i'm looking at uh i have yeah. a roster right now of a, a tight end an offensive lineman and a linebacker <laughs> um so you know uh, yeah I'll, I'll just do it uh, i'll go justin jefferson um you know gonna be uh, 23 and if you know there's uh, i think you can see like with you know rich did his uh his dynasty tiers um and his tier one was uh jamar chase and justin jefferson and i think that just kind of shows you yeah it's one of those things where you know fantasy value does kind of translate to uh to real life value um because you know these, these two guys are, are really good so uh jefferson um right had the third highest uh target share uh, among receivers uh this year 28.9 opportunity media 2.59 yards per route run um and he's one of those guys like had a, a higher um a dot because they were throwing down the field um and he was one of the most uh, efficient receivers in uh, on the intermediate level. And that's kind of where the Vikings really killed uh, last year. And Kirk Cousins had the highest uh, EPA per attempt to the intermediate level. And that was, you know, because of Justin Jefferson, right? He had I think, like a 54% target share uh, on Minnesota's throws to the intermediate level of the field. Uh, and then you, you just watch him. He's, you know, another one of those guys, again, <laughs> the 
those LSE guys are, are really good, man. Um, and you can line him up kind of all over the field. I'm so interested to see what his role is going to look like with Kevin O'Connell now this year, um, and what how that uh, how that offense is going to change and use him a little bit different. Um, but man, he can again. He's one of those guys when every area of the field uh it's so good so explosive um yeah yeah i think that pick makes a lot of sense after i took chase even though those two guys are pretty clear-cut top two there's there's a slight drop off i i saw the wide receivers as having two guys at the top and i had a hard time choosing i'm curious if you if you were the one to go wide receiver first who was your guy uh it it would have been jefferson but the close so we each get our top guy yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely debated that. They're they're cl- they're close. Jefferson maybe provides a little bit more versatility. We've seen him do a lot more damage both inside and in the slot. I mean, two similar players. I mean, five years yeah. from now, there pr- there's a really good chance of like they're, you know, battling it out for the debates about like who's the best in the league. Right. I, I don't <laughs> think either one of us would have been wrong uh, had yeah. we taken you know, what the one thing that I, I didn't want to do is have allow you to have chase and jefferson so yeah. that's why i had to make that exactly yeah that that definitely makes sense as far as uh following up the chase pick with jefferson all right so it's back to me i think it gets really hard now <laughs> because i don't there are fewer established players on the board um and there's less of a drop-off at a lot of positions now um so i guess what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna go cornerback there's quite a few cornerbacks i like but i did sort of feel like there's a number one that i wanted to get and so i'm going to take patrick sertan okay i was a huge fan of him coming out of the draft really encouraged by what he did as a rookie Uh, just to throw a couple numbers out on what i was really encouraged by is his production downfield i mean he was targeted a lot which is obviously very common for rookie cornerbacks teams want to test them early. And I think based on what he showed, we're probably going to see a, a drop off in terms of how much they're targeting next year, especially downfield um, on targets, 10 or more yard, 10 or more yards downfield. When he was in coverage, he allowed a 36% completion rate that ranked 14th out of 70 qualified cornerbacks and 6.1 yards per coverage snap ranking eighth out of 70. So he was limiting receptions, but also limiting big plays. He wasn't like getting burned uh, you know, right. for like 50 yard touchdowns and whatnot um, with any type of consistency. So he was limiting big plays to his side of the field. And that's just such, if you can establish yourself as that type of quarterback, if you've got one guy on one side of the field that teams are hesitant to challenge downfield like that, that's huge for, as far as um, changing the way offenses are going to approach your defense. And so I feel like Sertan is going to be that guy for Denver for the foreseeable future. He's going to really lock down um, taking a rookie uh, or a guy with only one year of experience. Um, obviously, there's some risk because there is uh, there's volatility with quarterbacks from year to year. So we can't necessarily say with a high degree of confidence that um, you know the what he showed as a rookie is going to continue. But it matched really well what we expected from him based on his career at Alabama. I mean, from the time he set foot on the field, he looked like a future top ten pick. He carried it through his career at Alabama. He carried it on to his rookie year. I feel as good about. Um, him staying on that trajectory as any of the young cornerbacks uh, that are going to, that we're going to mention today. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I, that's one of the other things kind of like a tight end and we're seeing it a little more at corner now where that was again, uh, a position where 
you step in year one and you're playing a lot, you're, you're not always guaranteed to uh, to be producing um, as soon as you step on the field in your rookie season. And it's, it's still pretty rare for rookies to step in and be you know, pretty good. So I think you look at like what what happened um, you know, in 2020 with some of those rookies uh, that were highly drafted. Uh, they, they did not pan out. But it, this like entire rookie class uh, really like was a pretty good I so I'll, I'll mention this because I don't think either one of us are going to draft him because of um, you know how little he played in the injury but like JC Horn started the year like better than any of these guys that we probably like are going to talk about but then there was the injury so he missed a part of the year so I, I don't expect it expect him especially since we're only drafting two corners for him to like so he was he was good uh Sertan was good well I think we we might talk about uh you know an, another guy um coming up but Sertan so I put together um adjusted yards allowed per coverage snap, which just kind of uses the pro football reference formula like for quarterbacks uh that uses uh touchdowns and interceptions like in in yards um and Sertan was uh, 34th uh, last year in adjusted yards allowed per coverage snap, and that was among 93 uh, corners with at least um, at least where where am I here? 300 cover snaps. Uh, I got that's awesome for a rookie. <laughs> that is great for a rookie. So yeah, so um, and again, yeah, when you when you look at you know some of some of the other rookies that we saw like in in 2020 most of those guys were you know like in the in the 90s um or or in the in the 80s but uh this class was was still pretty good um so uh yeah among the highly drafted guys the sertan was up there so you know would be be a top you know 30 32 cornerback um and especially like playing on the outside as much as he did because you know some of those you know yards per coverage snaps um you know, skews toward uh, slot guys a a little bit just because they they don't get thrown at uh, you know quite as often the yards aren't uh Yards don't get picked up quite as much there. Um, but yeah, Sertan, really good, uh, was high on my list. Um, so I think, again, you're going to force me to go with a position that you just took because I don't want <laughs> you to come with two guys. Um, and I'm going to go with the guy who actually, again, it was like a, a 1A, 1B um, situation, but uh, AJ Terrell. Um Again, so I assumed I, you were going there. <laughs> yeah, I figured yeah. that. So, like throughout the season, I talked a lot about AJ Terrell um, because uh, I think he just had like I, it's picking up now. I think like as a NFL commentary, we've uh, accepted that AJ Terrell <laughs> is is very good. Again, he didn't get voted yeah. to the Pro Bowl, uh, which I think you know does show some of the the flaws in, in Pro Bowl voting. I think it was second team All Pro um, yeah, officially. I know when I did my All Pro team. Um, I had him uh, first team right behind uh, Jalen Ramsey because, you know, man, he was just really good. And I think like some of the things you could say, so I have him uh, third in adjusted yards allowed uh, per coverage snap. Um, And again, he was just like one of those guys who I think you can say like, oh, they, they only played sides um, in Atlanta for, for most of the time, but the teams didn't throw to Terrell's side, um, which it, it, it that matters. Like that is a skill. Uh, deterring targets when you're a cornerback is a good thing. Um, and if he wasn't holding up well, they wouldn't have avoided him the way they did. So, um, and again, when like when he was thrown at, 
also uh, did really well. So um, he, he's a guy that uh, has really, you know, improved, had, uh, you know, a great season in 2021. I think that's something that, you know, can continue uh, for, for 2022. Uh, and he's just, uh, yeah, like I think still just one of the most underrated uh, corners uh, in the league. Um, and I think just has, has really been playing well. Um, so yeah, the uh, pretty obvious pick if, if you have a, uh, heard me talk about AJ Terrell uh, at any point um so I like when you went corner I was a little worried you were gonna go there but yeah. since you didn't I'm, I'm gonna grab him now that I can't I I went back and forth I created like a little draft board for myself and I think I shifted him around a couple times my I guess why I went with Sertan over Terrell is that we've really only seen one year of Terrell play at that high of a level and, you know, we do know that this is a position where there's a little bit of volatility. And Terrell, although he was a first-round pick, he was a very controversial first-round pick. That um, was seen as a reach when the Falcons took him. And so I, I did not view him as the type of prospect as Sertan. He didn't play at, like, a all-pro type of level his first two years in the league. And so I, I, he was number two on my list. So, like, I'm not <laughs> certainly not saying he was – like we shouldn't be talking about him. He deserves, like he had a fantastic year. I'm just sort of like reserving a little bit of skepticism about like, is that repeatable or does he drop down to like, you know, 85% of what we saw last year, like, which would still be good, but like not the all pro type of quarterback that he was last year. So that's, that's probably why I went shifted towards Sertan as maybe, maybe being a guy who follows the draft as closely as I do putting a little, sure, yeah, that's, that's fair. Analysis, but that's going to, that's going to be my bias when guys are close is I'm going to lean towards, uh, you know, what I view them as as a prospect when we're talking about players this young, obviously. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. And I, like you said, with corner, it's, it's one of those, like it's, it's extremely volatile unless like, yeah. unless you're Jalen Ramsey um, being like a really, really good uh, for multiple years in a row is, is very hard. Um, yeah, so yeah. Um, so, so we'll, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll see there. And I, but I think you can kind of probably say that uh, about the, all of the corners uh, that we'll, that we'll talk about. So, um, all right. Uh, on to you for, uh, for yeah. So I'm up again. This is, man, this is tough. There's two positions that I'm deciding between, but I guess uh, being an Ohio State fan, I'll go with an Ohio State guy. I'll add uh, Chase Young to my team okay. uh, as my second defensive lineman. Uh, there's still some – so I'm taking the first – these are the two, first two defensive linemen, Bosa and Young. I got two Buckeyes there. But it still leaves you with some good options. But I like Young slightly more than the other guys that are on the board, even though he's coming off a year where he was maybe a little bit disappointing. He hasn't quite been the dominant pass rusher yeah. that I think we thought he was going to be, and that's what's a little bit concerning. But he's an all-around – like, as we expected, he is good, you know, a good three-down defender. And so I feel like, you know, even if – even coming off a slightly disappointing year and maybe not being the pass rusher we hoped he would be, I think we feel very confident saying he's going to be a starter in the league for a really long time and playing at a above-average to high level – even if he doesn't develop into that like top tier pass rusher. And so comparing him to some of the other guys on the list, there really isn't anybody else who uh, available to us that has like fully established themselves over multiple seasons as like a top tier defensive lineman. Um, so I'll, I'll go with young based on a little, a little bit of uh, a little bit based on like a very high floor for him, him moving forward. Yeah. I think that that makes 
a ton of sense. So I I had him a little lower uh, on my yeah. list. So since you know we're going uh, with the two each, uh, I didn't really have him in the top four. So I probably wouldn't have oh, drafted him. Yeah, it's just um, you know the the rookie season wasn't as great as you know we might have thought it was going to be. And then you know before he got hurt, there was there was not a lot. It was it was a bit of a disappointment. So. Yeah, and j- just with the, since there are some pretty good pass rushers um, here that can still be um, that are still you know qualified for for what we're going to do. Yeah, I had him a little lower, but I I completely understand your reasoning. I'm, I'm not going to you know debate it um, at all. Uh, so yeah, it it is it, he is he's really interesting, and I, I like I kind of want to see what they do uh, with him this year if there can be you know a, a little bit of a bounce back because i think it was one of those things where you know his um you know his uh his sacks were a little higher than like what you would ex- have expected like his quarterback hits to be uh in, in his first year um and then it was you know the complete opposite when when he started uh in 2020 so yeah he's he's a guy that again the, the most a lot of potential second overall pick obviously so um yeah we'll see so that that brings me so I guess I can, you know, technically, it's another thing where I can, you know, now wait on yep. the pass rushers. But now I look at, you know, some of these other positions. Oh, where do I go? Um, all right. I think I'll, I'll hit safety. And I'm going to go with Antoine Winfield Jr. I'm still going to be 24. Uh and again, he's like one of those rare guys uh, in this draft that is going to have, um, you know, a couple of a couple of seasons uh, under his belt. So I think when you when you look at what he was able to do for um, the Buccaneers uh, in the back end uh, last last year, uh, and really, you know, the, the past two years, um, he's been. You know he's been pretty good. Uh, two, uh, sorry, six passes defense in each of the past um, two seasons. He's the kind of guy who can you know play deep uh, a little bit. He can uh, you know play uh, in the box when he's playing downhill. I mean, again, like really uh, hard hitter. So I think he's kind of you know one of those versatile guys that allows Tampa Bay to do a lot of different things um, in, in the back end. Uh, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of interesting safeties, I think, in this group, and you could probably make a case for a lot of players to to be drafted in what we're going to be doing. So, um, I think uh, Winfield just kind of just uh, hits hits the top um, for me because uh, I just think he, he does a lot of stuff. We've seen it for two years, um, so yeah, yeah. Safety is a deep, deep roster. I wrote down ten different guys who fit our qualifications that you could that were at least worth mentioning maybe that you could yeah, theoretically create sure. an argument for to fit into like the third or fourth slot. Um, it, yeah. It's an incredibly deep roster. Winfield was also number one for me, um, but I didn't have a lot of confidence in it. Like I felt like one through three, I felt like I could shuffle those around. And then that fourth slot, like I said, like, man, I had a hard time figuring out who my fourth slate safety was going to be in my draft board. So we'll, we'll see what happens uh, when we get there. Um, now that it's back to me. So I guess to find some time on my peg, I'll quickly recap where we stand on the draft at quarterback. I've got Justin Herbert and you don't have anybody. 
Neither one of us has taken a running back. At wide receiver, I've got Jamar Chase, and you have Justin Jefferson, but we're drafting two wide receivers, so we both still need someone there. At tight end, you have Kyle Pitts, and I don't have anyone. Offensive line, you've got Tristan Wirfs, and I have nobody. We're drafting two from that spot, so you still need one as well. Defensive line, I've got Nick Bosa and Chase Young, so I'm done. You need two guys there. Linebacker, you've got Parsons. I still need someone. Cornerback, I've got Sertan, and you've got Terrell. We both need one more. And then at safety, you've got Antoine Winfield Jr. So there's still a few positions where we both need players. So I'm going to go to another one of those. And I really struggled with who, uh, how to rank these offensive linemen. And so I'm going to take an offensive lineman. And again, I'm going to slightly lean towards my pre-draft evaluation rather than who had the better rookie year. I'm going to take Panay Sewell as my offensive lineman. Um, Sewell, I think his rookie year was kind of underrated because he got off to a little bit of a slow start um, because of it was probably influenced by the fact that they drafted him to play right tackle, but then Taylor Decker was injured and he had to shift over and start the year at left tackle and got off to a slow start, but then actually started playing well. And then when they moved him over the right tackle, he was immediately one of the best right tackles in the game over the second half of the season. Um, As a right tackle, um, he ranked – fifth out of 41 players in pressure rate allowed, just looking at his snaps as a right tackle. And I don't think, I mean, we definitely can't attribute that to the Lions play calling or their scheme or anything. Cause the guy that he replaced Matt Nelson ranked dead last. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that was a pretty big deal. when Taylor Decker got healthy and they were able to uh, shift uh, Sewell over to right tackle because, you know, this, despite the fact that you look at his, kind of his overall numbers, they're kind of mediocre, but all, but still in a range that's perfectly acceptable for a rookie. He was pretty dominant by the end of the season in pass protection at right tackle. And I, I think, you know, entering the draft, I was extremely high on him based on what we saw in the second half of the season. I think just the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you took the, the Bengals question and you said, uh, why not both? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, one of those things. Yeah, Tubal was was really good. Um, and on my list, um, uh, absolutely. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where it, yeah, playing a little bit uh, out of position, slid him over. Um, and that was like it's part of you know I, the Lions hype are going a little too far uh, <laughs> here in the off season. But again, like the the structure and then the foundation of things. And like, it goes along with the uh, Sewell on the, on the offensive line. Um, that offensive line like has some, some good players on it. Um, it, it like that's going to be a solid unit at least. Um, and when you look at like from, from one to five and, and he's, you know, playing as one of the better guys at, at that position. So, um, and I think it's, that's one of those, another one of those things where yeah, it's going to be better in, in year two. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's not it was not a coincidence that their offense suddenly got really fun late in the season when the offensive line was like back pieced together the way it was designed. Right. Um and and we'll see like I again I, I said fun. Like I think they are going to be fun. Whether it's good, um, I think is, is going to be questionable for for like what we see from the Lions. But yeah, um fun fun could be like you, you can see what they're doing which uh we like kind of talked about this a little bit like after um after the drafts like you can just you can see their plan which is which is good uh, and that's more than you can say for for some teams um <laughs> so uh i think like 2023 is going to be it's going to be fun to talk about the lions i think um don't want to get you know too ahead uh, of myself there um 
So, all right, here we go. I still need a couple of positions, but I can, like, the positions I need are, are ones you've already taken, so I don't have to go, you know, too crazy and pushing. So I think just I think to, to go with the fun still, uh, I'm going to uh, fill out uh, my wide receivers, uh, and I'm going to go with DK Metcalf who is just is still really good. I think we kind of saw like with the Russell Wilson injury um, and uh, whatever happened uh, with like after without Wilson. And then once Wilson came back, uh, I think there were, you know, uh, there was, there's some things left on the table and below expectation of what we would have wanted uh, from DK Metcalf. And now I think you go into whatever this season is going to be with the Geno Smith, the Drew Locke, a quarterback competition that we're going to see. So expectations are not super high uh, for DK Metcalf, but you get a guy who's that big, uh, that fast. He's still like really good. Um, and I, I think you can, you know, accidentally find your way into, uh, you know, some, some DK Metcalf, uh, you know, the go balls uh, that are that are just uh, going to work. So uh, we're not necessarily doing this for you know what his play is going to be in 2022 with those quarterbacks, but you know DK Metcalf just like does so many things really well, and like that was you know part of the thing coming out that like he wasn't like a well-rounded receiver, um, but like who cares? The things he does really well, like he's like the best at and like when you have the big tall fast guy doing big tall fast guy things like. That works. Yeah, absolutely. And just looking at like the other wide receivers that we have available to us, there probably isn't another guy who can be in that Chase Jefferson com- conversation as like the guy who does everything for you. So you're going for, you're like settling, I guess, although it's not, you're not really settling when you're getting a guy with Metcalf's talent. But like there are tons of great receivers around the league who are lacking in an area, but dominant in one area. And like, you know, he's certainly one of them. And there's, you know, when I pick my wide receiver, I'll probably mention somebody else maybe because there's that's most of the league is made up of receivers like that. So yeah, it's I think people are a little too fixated on Metcalf because it was such a talking point when he, like you said, when he was coming out of the draft of how he was somewhat one dimensional, but you know, there's a lot of great receivers in the league who are slightly one dimensional, but if you're good enough at that one thing, then, you know, that's plenty. (laughs) Yeah. And, and he's, I think routinely gotten better at those other things too. I think he can be, you know, a a decent short intermediate guy. Um, And he might have to be a little more this year, but again, he was dominant at that one thing. And like those other things have improved. So like he is, you know, still one of the best young wide receivers in the league. Yeah. So, all right, it's back to me. And I guess what I should do now is take the other guy that I was debating at offensive line. And I'll just take both of the players <laughs> that I liked in last year's draft and take Rashawn Slater. Slater, okay. if you look at his overall body of work, had the better rookie year than Sewell. Like I said, I took Sewell ahead of him because I think I felt really good about where he was at the end of the season. And I thought he was slightly better entering the draft. So I went that direction, but I also really liked Slater coming out of the draft and he stepped in right away at left tackle looking at, I mentioned Sewell's pass protection numbers. If you look at Slater, um, look comparing him just to left tackles, he ranked eighth in uh, pressure rate allowed among 38 qualified left tackles. So to step in at left tackle and do that as a rookie, I mean, the, the other guys that are like above him are like Tyron Smith, Andrew Whitworth, Trent Williams, like well-established you know stars of the league. So to step in as a rookie 
and do that, especially after, I mean, he was one of the guys who opted out of college in 2020 out of the college season. So he took a year off, stepped in yeah. as a rookie and was already among like top, you know, 10 to 12 left tackles in the league. And so, I mean, it's, it's really easy to see him, you know, e- even if he stays at that level, that's awesome. <laughs> like to have a, you know, a guy who's like the eighth to 12th best left tackle in the league, you're going to lock that guy into a long-term contract. Uh, he's going to be protecting Herbert for a very long time on both my team and <laughs> the Chargers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where I would have gone next. Um, he actually probably would have been uh, the guy I, I, I would have had him above uh, Sewell for, yeah, totally that, fair. for that reason. Yeah. Um, but again, I, uh, since I already had, um, yeah, he was my number two guy behind Wirfs. Um, but yeah, totally didn't make sense. They, again, like these rookie guys who were coming in and sliding in and being really good um, in year one is is really impressive. Um, so, all right. It, it continues to be interesting here. I am... Whew, all right. I think for the sake of... Obviously, I don't need to do this in terms of you know where we are currently in uh, because you're not going to take an offensive lineman. But I'll, I'll continue to talk about a uh, rookie offensive lineman who did really well. I'm going to take Creed Humphrey, um, who came in for the Chiefs and uh, was like immediately one of the best centers, like if not the best center uh, in the league uh, last year. When you look at um, uh, SIS. Uh, uh, their blown block rate. He had the lowest blown block rate uh, among setters, and that was with uh, 1,100 snaps. Um, ESPN had him first in pass block win rate uh, among centers, and he was fifth in run block win rate uh, among centers. So for a rookie to slide in and, and like be dominant at at his position, um, and I think that kind of you know helped some of the things that that the Chiefs can do. Um, writing about the Chiefs right now which will hopefully be on the site on friday uh if not maybe monday morning um but kind of talking so when we like kind of saw them restructure their um their offensive line we thought like maybe they like would be running some teams out of out of too high because like they had the offensive line to do that that didn't exactly happen but like it could still happen now but i think you know having um having that that center uh and that entire like reworked offensive line uh, it, it really kind of helped some of what what the Chiefs could do, and I think we might see them, you know, sit back away and and drop back a, a little longer uh, this year. Patrick Mahomes was under pressure uh, a little bit less, uh, and I think that just you know, helped overall. And, and having a guy who can, you know, you plugged and played at uh, and in the middle of that offensive line, I think played a, a really big part in that. Yeah, I was curious where you were going to go because someone from uh, your Giants was certainly in the conversation. I was, I'm curious, was he? Was he in consideration for you, Andrew Thomas? Uh, no, but only because of how you know few guys we would be drafting, um, mm-hmm. right? And like he he did not have a good rookie year. He had a much better um, you know year two. Uh, but then I think when when you look at you know the other guys, I think like when you saw you know guys like uh, Sewell and Slater and, and Humphrey like came in or immediately great. Um, in, in year one, you have a guy like, uh, Wirfs who was, uh, again, good year one and year two, um, is already like one of the best at his position. I think even, uh, you know, Jedrick Wills probably still has a little bit of an edge there. I think 
like over Thomas, but again, like over the past couple of years, like we've seen some, some good guys. And even if they didn't step in year one, we saw a little bit of improvement uh, year two. So I think like offensive line is another position where like there are, there are some like really good young guys that, that we're seeing develop here. Yeah, definitely. I, I may have actually gone Thomas. I think I would have taken him as my fourth. If the last guy off the board were me, I would have taken Thomas. I definitely, the, the guy, the two that I had written down as like fourth or fifth were Humphrey and Thomas. And I think what would have shifted me towards Thomas was, like you mentioned, he was terrible, completely in over his head his rookie year. He ranked dead last and pressure rate allowed among left tackles. Yeah. Then last year he ranked sixth. And that really stands out to me because their offensive line was bad. If you're a good offensive lineman on a bad offensive line, that says more about your talent to me. Like, because it definitely, it's a unit. Like they play together as a unit and you're elevated. And so like I went shifted with, I sided with Thomas slightly more than Humphrey because like the chief's offense, line was very good playing next to Joe Thune. Yeah. Makes your job Does a little help. bit easier. Sure. And so it just, I mean, like I said, I debated those two guys. They were like fourth and fifth. And I, and, you know, I, you can make the case that you made easily for uh, Humphrey in this slot as the four, our fourth offense line off the board. But I, I'm still, I'm pretty optimistic about Thomas based on what he did last year without a lot of support around him. I think it could definitely, as they improve their offensive line, he could, uh, continue to elevate his game. So I definitely think Giants fans should be optimistic about him. All right. So offensive line is our, really our first position that we're completely done with. I'll address another position where we both need players. I'll go back to safety. I'll take my first safety. And there's a, there's a lot of options. Like we said, I have no confidence that this is going to be your next guy off the board. So again, maybe I'm taking somebody that you weren't even going to draft, but I'll take Javon Holland. Okay, yeah, on the list. Loved, absolutely loved what he did as a rookie. I was really excited about him coming out of Oregon. Um, he was absolutely dominant in coverage in the slot in college. Both years he played at Oregon. His uh, freshman year he played. Uh, they moved him around a little bit, but he was clearly best in the slot. And then he pretty much exclusively played like a strong safety role, almost exclusively in coverage in the slot, playing in the box. Some, but then didn't play free safety at all, basically, and then opted out. So the big question mark with him entering the NFL was like, okay, does he have versatility or is he like just a slot guy, which would obviously devalue him a lot if that was him. And the Dolphins said, uh, not only do we think he's versatile, but he's only going to play free safety for us. Like we're going to draft him to do the one thing that he's never done before. And he was great. He was one of the best deep safeties in the league. Yeah. And so to me, like, I know he's good in coverage in the slot because he was dominant there in college. And when they did put him in the slot last year, he was also very good. And then he was also dominant playing in the deep secondary for Miami. So to me now, like I see him as one of the most complete safeties in the league because he's proven to do everything. And the fact that he was able to pick up on that new role in Miami as a rookie, like that's a big ask of a rookie to shift them into something that's very different. Like, we talk about safeties as like they're interchangeable, but it is a very different skill set playing in the deep secondary versus being a guy who exclusively plays in the slot and in the box, like he did his final year at Oregon. So for him to go, you know, 2019, he didn't play free safety at all. 2020, he opted out. And then the Dolphins asked him to play free safety. Like that, they put a lot in his plate. The way he responded was, I mean, exceptional. So I view him as a guy who can now do everything in the secondary. Um, and so he was, he was my number one safety. That was a really tough decision. Winfield was on my list at number two and other, other, or Winfield was, I'm sorry, Winfield was number one. Holland was number two. That was one of the spots that I definitely debated though. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy to get Holland as my top safety though. Yeah. And then when you look at like the, the responsibilities in Miami, they're like, they were still a team that played a lot of single high, um, you know, and, and the way they structured it, it was a lot of cover one, a lot of cover zero, which put him in, you know, playing man um, a lot. And like, like you said, he was uh, a guy who was good in, in the slot uh, in college. So like they, they use that when, you know, they had their all up blitzes and, you know, they're keeping the same defensive staff, you know, minus Brian Flores in, in Miami. So he's going to probably be doing a lot of the same things. So um, yeah, it's definitely on my list. And I think like another like underrated is one of those guys that like, because of, you know, what, was going on in Miami like throughout the season where they were like really bad for a while. Uh, and then we talked about, you know, how gross the offense was. Uh, we kind of I- ignored at some of those pieces that were on defense once that defense started, you know, playing pretty well. Uh, and Holland, I think is, is a guy we, we really didn't talk about uh, enough last year. Um, but, but probably that is going to change. So uh, let's go now with, uh, we're, we're trying to, to speed some of this up. Um, at this point, I think I am going to go with uh, a guy that I have uh, liked for a while. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Brian Burns at Edge. Um, he's a guy who ranked uh, 18th in pressure rate uh, last year. Um, you know, I think he fits really well with what Carolina uh, wants to do. I think he, he got some help when when Reddick was on the other side of him uh, last year, but just the guy who speed um has has always been there for him like one of the fastest get offs uh, off the line that's really helped him um and you know i think he's gotten some better technique um as a pass rusher too so i think he's going to you know uh, continue to uh get better um again like you would you know kind of hope uh his his sacks have only been like nine and a half the past you know years but um or nine. Uh, but again, like you know, one of the, the better young pass rushers, he's, you know, used his athleticism to win. I think the technique has started to be refined uh, a little more. So I'm excited to see what he is, uh, you know, continually going to do. And again, like only going to be uh, 24 after a couple of years in the league. Yeah. Burns was definitely next on my list. I think one of the really strong arguments for him has been the consistency so far. His pressure rate, his three years in the league was 13%, 15%, 14%. So, I mean, to be in that range is good, but to do it every single year right out of the gates, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely something Carolina can build around in the long term. Um, so next, I guess what I'll do now is go to the one position that we haven't drafted yet. Um, I assume we've both been passing over running backs just for positional value reasons. Um, but I do think that there's a drop-off from one to number two at this position. So I, yeah. I think it, we're at a reasonable point in the draft where I can justify taking Jonathan Taylor. And we don't need, we probably don't need to spend too much time on the position. He's, you can make a strong argument that he would be the first running back off the board if we were drafting the entire league. Uh, yeah. So with our, uh, under, our 24 and under draft, I'm going to take Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Yeah, that, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Um, I debated that because I'm not totally sure who would be number two. Um, <laughs> but I think when you, when you look at what, you know, Jonathan Taylor did, um, you know, we, we talked about it a lot uh, on the podcast uh, throughout the year. Um, it was a, a lot of, a lot of home run hits uh, for that, but like they were, they were consistently there. Um, it, it wasn't like the, you know, the, the baseball slugger who's like hitting 200, but hits like 35 home runs. Like this was still a guy who was hitting, 
uh, like, you know, 280 um, and then still hitting the, you know, 40 home runs. And that's kind of how the, the Colts sustained uh, quite a bit of their offense when the quarterback play uh, was not good. So uh, interested to see like how that plays in year two. Um, yeah, well, year two of like leaning on that um, because, you know, we, we've seen with some running backs that that doesn't always happen. So, um, but yeah, uh, easy, easy number one there. And I don't blame you for that. So I am going to now. Oh, man. Um, like there's some positions where like I want you to take someone to make my decision <laughs> easier. <laughs> um, so, whew. I have. All right, I'll I'll go back to back defensive line here, and I will go with uh, Rashawn Gary. Um, who is a guy who was drafted highly for the athletic production, um, just the insane athleticism that did not exactly translate uh, his first year, but last year was that incredible. Um, and I think they are, with the shift that the Packers have had uh, on defense, and I just wrote about more of their you know coverages, uh, but I think that also helps like what they've been able to do along the defensive line. Um, Gary was sixth in in pressure rate uh, last year, and he was a guy that even um, you know underperformed in sacks by how often he got to the quarterback. So that's uh, another thing where like I I look at like what could potentially be a, like a, a breakout the next year. Like he's a guy that that still like left some sacks on the table uh, for as often as he was getting to the quarterback. So um, I think now that we've seen that that athleticism can translate to some production, uh, it, that's the going to be a, a very fun guy to watch. Especially now that like he's he's going to be the guy there. They uh, you know no more Zaria Smith. Um, you know Preston Smith's still there, but I think you know Rashawn Gary's taking over as, as that number one guy uh, along that defensive line. Yeah, he was also in, on my top four. So I think we we both came to uh, had pretty similar rankings at that position. Was yeah, there, were, there were some interior guys that like I kind of you know considered, but it's it's hard to pass them for like the the edge guys that that we took. Um, you know, Jeffrey Simmons was there. Um, no, I considered Ed Oliver, which probably would have been you know an out of left field thing. But I think we like have really underrated how good Ed Oliver has been since like it, you know he came into the league and like we he was like talked up as like the next Aaron Donald um, and then didn't really do that, but like has still been really good. Uh, and last year he was the only defensive tackle to be top 10 in pass rush win rate and run stop win rate uh, from ESPN. So, um, you know, again, not a guy we're going to pick in the top four, but someone I did consider and kind of just want to mention here. No, you're not crazy at all. I actually originally had him in my top four and then swapped okay. for Gary right. kind of at the last minute. So I'm on the same page. If I were, if we were going five deep, he would have been five for me. Yeah. He was double teamed at an over 50% rate last year and still generated a pressure rate above 10%, which is fantastic for an interior defensive lineman. So, yeah, I mean, for him to be steadily getting better and still be as young as he is, you know, he's not going to be Aaron Donald, obviously, but like to be 90% of that within like the next year or two, I think that's realistic for him. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, uh, you know, one of those guys that uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of other things going on in Buffalo. So it was very also easy to, to yeah. overlook there. Um, but yeah, I think like 
one of the most underrated players uh, in in the league right now, like for how good he has been. Um, like we we should probably you know talk about him way more often, just as yeah. in general. Well, one other thing I wanted to mention about Gary, and one of the reasons why I decided to rank him slightly ahead of Oliver was among the players in this age group that we're considering, he actually led all the players in pressure rate last year, yeah. 15.5%. So it was kind of a slow development over the last couple of years, but he really blossomed last year. And I think, you know, Green Bay is pretty excited about uh, what he can do in the next couple of years for them. All right. So it's back to me and we've almost filled out all of the positions Um with at least you know one one of us filling our our side, so I'll go back to one of the other positions that's available. We're still both drafting from. Okay. And based on what you said earlier, I don't think you're going to take him, but he's the next guy on my board at cornerback. I'm going to take J.C. Horn, which I okay. guess is a little bit of a surprise to you, but you know, like I mentioned before, I'm when it, we're talking about young players who are closely graded, I'm going to lean on my draft grade a little bit. Yeah, um, And with Horn, that's obviously a big part of the equation still because we only saw him in three games. But like he you mentioned, so good. he like was those three dominant. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, in those three games, he allowed one catch on five targets on 82 snaps in coverage, which, I mean, that says a couple things about him. One, he's good. <laughs> he played yeah. well in those games. You allow one catch, you're playing well. Um, but it's also really notable that teams didn't just throw at him. Yeah, because rookie cornerbacks just get thrown at. Like that's one of the like probably underutilized strategies in fantasy is like try to figure out like who's going up against rookie cornerbacks because they're going to get targeted a little bit more. And yet in those three games, he was targeted five times on the opposite side of the field. Dante Jackson, a little bit more established, was targeted thirteen times. So opposing offenses faced with Dante Jackson or a rookie cornerback, I would have guessed that they would have targeted the rookie, but they clearly went after Jackson instead. To throw out some other uh, numbers for rookie cornerbacks who played a lot, uh, Eric Stokes saw 5.8 targets per game. Sertan, who I drafted earlier, 5.2. Paulson Adebo, 4.5. Tyson Campbell, 4.3. Greg Newsom, 4.3. That's like four or five targets per game is what you're going to see as a rookie cornerback. You're just going to get targeted a lot because teams want to challenge you and just test you out, basically. And yet in three games, Horn saw five targets. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, he was already getting a little bit of, I'm sure there's a little bit of luck baked in. Obviously we're looking at a small sample size, but you know, with most of the other cornerbacks, you can't pick out a three game sample where they were only targeted five times. It's not purely luck. He was playing really well and getting shown a little bit of respect. So, and I loved what he did at South Carolina. Like as a prospect, I was very high on him. He was a ball hawk playing a decent amount of man coverage there. So I feel good about, what he could do with a versatile uh, skill set, you know, regardless of what uh, scheme Carolina's uh, future coach wants to throw him into next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was one of those guys, like, again, it like wasn't on my list for this specific exercise, like just because of, you know, that injury. Um, yeah. But again, like so good. Like I, well, I wrote about the Carolina Panthers defense, like really early, like he was a, a big part of it. Um, and I think like that got overlooked also a, a little bit, but yeah, uh, uh, you're not going to get an, an argument here because I do think JC Horn's really good. I'm really excited to see what year two uh, is going to look like. That does not help me though, as I am trying to pick <laughs> who my next corner is going to be. Um, and all right, I'm, I'm going to go with, yeah, there are a couple other you know 
rookies who I think were were pretty good. Um, I want to shout out Asante Samuel Jr. real quick, who uh, coverage that wise was, was very close to Patrick Sertan. Um, I think they, they were very similar uh, per coverage snap. Um, so there were, you know, also some injuries there. He's bounced around to the slot uh, a little bit. Um, so he kind of, he also has that versatility. I think like he's going to play a very big part in what the Chargers do in coverage this year. I am going to go with Christian Fulton um, for the Tennessee Titans, who I think is another guy like who has been very underrated uh, in 2020. Uh, he was uh, 26 in adjusted yards uh, allowed per coverage snap um, this past year. He was um, he was twentieth. Like so, this is a guy who has been like really good in in back to back years, um, and those are you know his two years in the league. He's going to be twenty four in September. Um, and again, like that, it's only you know six games in twenty twenty. But again, you know for for a rookie to to be there, uh, you know, and played more in in twenty twenty one with Norris Jenkins gone. Now he's going to play much more in twenty twenty two. I think Tennessee. Um, you know, has some some fun things on defense. I think we, we also like didn't really talk about. They kind of like went Fangio ish and played a lot of too high. They played some white boxes, um, uh, and I think Fulton on the outside was was a big part of that. And I think he's going to be a, a bigger part uh, e- even going forward. So he's a guy again like on a, on a Tennessee defense that we don't really you know talk about uh, very often. But uh, he's been you know pretty good uh, when he's been on the field. Yeah, I totally justifiable pick. We now have uh, all of Dallas irate with us. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I just I can't I can't do it. Um, I can't either. Here's here's what I've said to anyone who's asked me about Trevon Diggs. He deserves all the credit for what he did last year. Sure, he yep. deserved all the accolades that he got because what he did was incredibly valuable. He was you know, one of the most valuable defensive players in the league last year, because you can't discount the fact that he did get all those interceptions and return some of them for touchdowns. And there's just an incredible amount of value in that, but it's not sustainable. You can't do that at that rate year after year. Nobody has ever done that. So we can say with a high degree of confidence, he won't repeat that. And so looking at all the other stuff, I don't think he quite, cracks this list although i did write his name down in a group of like the next yeah sure I, still... I did also um yeah so but like when when you look at it like when i have uh, adjusted yards allowed per coverage snap which uh, significantly adjusts for the value of interceptions i think they um in the pro football reference formula account for like 45 yards so you take away 45 five yards for every interception uh and with that Trayvon Diggs was still only uh where I I just had him uh, on this list here and now I cannot find him um this is great podcasting uh he was still only 51st um among 93 corners in adjusted yards allowed which again very heavily adjusts for for interceptions. Um, he was one of the worst corners in just yards allowed per cover snap. So if you don't adjust for touchdowns and interceptions, um, again, like he he, just, he gets beat on big plays, and that's kind of you know what he's going to do uh, in coverage. Like he's going to be that very aggressive uh, corner. He's going to try to jump some routes, so you're going to be able to beat him on, on some double moves. Again, like the 2021 season, very impressive and, and valuable for you know turnovers he created. Uh, Again, like you said, just not something that's probably repeatable at that level. Um, and I'm going to have to see a little more 
consistency like in coverage from down to down uh, in order to you know take him over some of these other guys. Yeah, absolutely. Teams just weren't scared of him. They threw at him a lot, and that yep. contributed to his high interception totals. He had the eighth most targets in coverage at 10 or more yards downfield. And I mentioned before about how rookie cornerbacks get targeted a lot. The guy right above him was Patrick Sutan. The guy right below him was Paulson Adebo. So he's right there in that range of like, he's getting thrown at the rate that rookies get thrown at, not the rate that like all pros get thrown at. Yeah. So around the league, they didn't respect him at that level either. So like, again, yeah, he deserved the accolades because the interceptions happened and they were valuable, uh, but he's got to approve, you know, the, the big picture to, to crack the top four uh, on a list like this. All right. So, now that we've addressed all the angry Dallas fans, um, we're in a, a really tough spot in the draft now. There's only one position I think where we both need yep. to address. So I guess I'll go that route, even though I think, you know, based on the number of safeties available, we probably don't have the same uh, list at this point. Um, I'll take Jeremy Chin. Okay. Um, yeah. I had a really hard time figuring out who to put on here next in like the third and fourth slots. Um, but I'm kind of a sucker for this type of safety guys who are just like studs in the box uh, that you can also trust in coverage a bit. Um, and so like, I guess if we're, I wasn't necessarily thinking along these lines, but from a team building standpoint, pairing a type of player like this with a guy like Javon Holland, like that, that would be awesome to have a guy like Holland that you feel really comfortable playing in the deep secondary and in the box pairing with a guy like Chin who doesn't play deep so much, but you know, really excels giving you elite range against the run, but, and someone you also trust to blitz and in coverage in the slot, a good matchup with tight ends uh, from a team building standpoint, that would work out really well. But man, that was a, this was the toughest position to rank, I think, because I've got, I think eight other names uh, and we'll see who you take off that list. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. Th- that's, yeah, I I had Chin uh, high, man. He's he's been good. Um, again, like another one of those guys that has you know continually developed. And I think what he did last year, um, a lot of you know having what the Panthers were able to do was, um, you know, played a part in in him being able to to kind of move all around and play a bunch of different spots. I mean, I, so like safety is another one where like I could I could go on like for days about all of these guys, and like I'm I'm not going to. So I, I'll. I'll go safety just to continue the conversation. Um, like I'm, so I'm not, I'm not going to do it because it, we we just haven't seen him play yet. But Kyle Hamilton was the only rookie I considered for this exercise. That was um, the next one on my list. <laughs> okay, so you know what? Maybe I will do it. All right. It, <laughs> You're talking into it. I'm going to take Kyle Hamilton because um, I think he kind of does what Jeremy Chin does, but like to the extreme at every level. Um, this is a guy who's like, you know, 220 pounds, 6'4". And like, there's been a lot of talk about his size and like whether he can move. Like, yeah, he can. Um, I would, the pro day was very overrated when he ran like a four or five yeah. at Indy when like that was officially timed um, with everyone else who was running fast. Like, so I don't know why we're discounting Indy and, and there was so much talk about a, a pro day time. Um, you can just you know, watch the way he moves. Uh, it, it's so good. He's going to be able to play on all three levels and having that be in Baltimore um, 
with the the rest of that secondary i'm very excited to see how he's used um you know he, he can play deep he can rotate down um he can he can play the slot he was really good in the slot uh, last year and i think like you know, a lot of people have like overrated that too um so but kind of like everything we said about jeremy chin i think like kyle hamilton has the potential to to be that and and more so yeah all right he's the the one rookie i considered so i'll, I'll just <laughs> take him um, you know, other safeties just uh, quickly, um, Xavier McKinney, um, uh, Monty Hooker, um, uh, Jordan Fuller, uh, CJ Gardner-Johnson. I don't know if we were considering him a safety or slot, but uh, those are some of the other names I had uh, for this position. Yeah, I also wrote down Trevon Merrig, um, Jalen Thompson, and Taylor Rapp. I mean, I, also, I wanted to mention Fuller and Rapp specifically just to point out that one team has two guys that are yeah, I mean, potentially if, in this conversation. If, like if you listen to, to Sharp Angles at any point during um, the, during the regular season uh, when Rich and I were talking, I, I, the amount I went on about the, the Rams defense and how they built it and the, the yeah. good safeties. Yeah, so it, no surprise uh, there that I would agree with, with Rapp and Fuller. Yeah, definitely. Have, having those two guys, uh, two young potentially stud safety is there. Definitely makes sense. And yeah, and with, with Hamilton too, like I'm even more excited about his career after seeing him land in Baltimore, because one of the, one of the concerns with him obviously is that as a taller defensive back, you have limitations. Like there's no avoiding that you're going to struggle in coverage against certain types of players. So you have to move a player like that around to like highlight their strengths and uh, mask some of their weaknesses. And I likened it prior to the draft. I likened it to kind of Isaiah Simmons, when he was coming out of um, Clemson, um, different they're playing different positions, right? But I like it uh, to their scenarios in the same sense as that. Like Simmons is the type of player, and Hamilton is the type of player that you have to put in specific situations to get the most out of them. They're not a type of guy that you can bring in and just say like, "Okay, you're this in my defense," and right. like go watch film of this guy who did it last year because they're a little too unique better in some areas, lacking in some areas. You can't just plug him in. You have to move him around. And who do you not trust to do that? Well, the Arizona Cardinals, obviously. They haven't done a great job developing him. But who do you trust to do that? Right. The Ravens, obviously. Has any organization been better at that over the last decade or so? I mean, they've changed defensive coordinators over the year, but pretty much picking from the same tree of guys who have you know, been there and learned how to do it. And so – they have a really good track record of doing this with players, highlighting their strengths um, to the point where we've seen some players leave and not be able to replicate what they do because they're so good at highlighting strengths and masking weaknesses. So yeah, my confidence in my uh, pre-draft evaluation of what Hamilton could be only grew seeing him land in an organization that's going to help him achieve that. All right, so we've got three. I've got three spots left that I have to fill: wide receiver, tight end, and linebacker. Since you've already filled these positions, I guess I'll just go with you know who I who I like the best of my guys at those positions, and I'll go with Devin White at linebacker. Um, you could make an argument for some other guys. Isaiah Simmons was a guy that I wrote down. Also, he fits our age description, despite being a, a little bit of a underperforming so far early in his career but with with Devin White I feel like he blends from a team building standpoint he has everything that you want and that's why he was the I believe number five overall pick in the draft and his career has been maybe a little bit overrated at times because he does some flashy things yep Um, I believe was he a pro bowler this year or was it the year before 
believe he's been to a Pro Bowl already. He does some flashy things. Like he is effective on blitzes. Um, he has great range against the run. But those two things are not necessarily unique, which is why I think that maybe he gets a little bit overrated at times. And his coverage is the one thing that's kind of been lacking a little bit in his career. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking down about him after drafting him. <laughs> but I, I guess I just wanted to like kind of acknowledge that for anyone who's like maybe questioning the pick. I think it's fair if like you wouldn't take him in this spot because there are some significant concerns. Yeah. But on the upside, like he's still young enough to qualify for this draft. He does everything. Like he is effective on blitzes. He does have elite range against the run. And although his coverage skills, I think have been like a big weakness of him at times, the traits are still there. Like they didn't go away. He was great in coverage in college. And like, so he's still young enough where I feel like, we could still see enough growth where he like actually uh, maybe lives up to the reputation uh, that he has at some point in the near future. Yeah. My hesitation with him was like what he looks like when not playing next to Levante David, um, which is that it covers up a lot of those coverage uh, issues uh, that he has because he he just doesn't need that responsibility when you have Levante David playing next to you. So um, so that's why he would have been third, uh, on my list again, like I have all the same reservations, I would have made all of the same points uh, as you. I had a, a Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, uh, I think would have been my number two guy. I think he kind of came in, uh, played really well, like one of you know those hybrid guys uh, that we saw, like and played really well. Um, so, all right, um, we'll uh, we'll roll through these these next two because they're they're just positions that um, you know we've kind of already talked about. Um, so. I just kind of by default, I'm going to go Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. Um, I'm not really sure where else there is to go here. Like you, you, you know, you could make a K like we've, I've talked about Justin Fields, like a lot. I still have some, some high hopes for what he's going to look like in, in a better offense. Um, you know, you have Jalen hurts uh, also uh, is in this. Um, but I think you just you know, banking on what Trevor Lawrence could be. Right. Um, and I think we're kind of hoping uh, uh, just any type of, system that like looks like an nfl offense should uh is going to help him a little bit because like the the flash throws were there some of the processing was there um just the the offense around him was a a complete disaster from pretty much every standpoint so um i think you're you're still banking on the the potential of trevor lawrence here and where some of these other quarterbacks are i think that's you know the easiest place to go yeah i mean obviously huge drop off from herbert to lawrence which is why the number one pick was key for us in this draft but I also think that Lawrence was the obvious number two choice because you can't ignore what he was as a prospect and he was a special prospect coming out and he wasn't great last year, but it was a completely incompetent situation. Like he was thrown into a situation that was led by incompetence. You know, there was no hope for him to have a rookie year like Herbert had, you know, he, he was set up to fail last year, which can hurt him. Like that could, hurt his career, but I think you just have to hope that it was only one year and any, you know, bad habits that got ingrained a little bit from being surrounded by so much incompetence, hopefully, you know, Doug Peterson and the new staff can kind of coach that out of him pretty quickly. And based on what we saw from him in college, I think you have to believe that that is definitely possible at this point, but yeah, when you're choosing between him and Tua, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, he's, you just got to revert back to your, you know, pre-draft opinion of him and you know pre-draft there was really no 
if you're looking at just pre-draft scouting reports, you can't really compare her. Or, uh, Lawrence was a pretty clear choice there. Yeah. All right. So I guess I'll have to go with tight end now and I'll take Noah Fant. Uh, there's a huge drop off here, obviously from Kyle Pitts and Noah Fant, maybe even more so than a quarterback. Um, but just from a pure talent standpoint, the difference between Noah Fant and the other options here, like Cole Komet or Pat Fryermuth, as far as like the ceiling of what they could achieve, there's just like a massive difference. You know, he has the athleticism to be one of these top tier tight ends if he's in an offense that's going to highlight it. Now, whether or not that happens in Seattle, I don't know. Um, they haven't traditionally featured tight ends a little bit, but with the new quarterback there, uh, probably Drew Locke, maybe he sees a little bit more action, especially since they have a little bit of history there. Um, obviously, Seattle does have uh, other tight ends on the roster like Will Disley, um, and they do have a little bit of history of being hard to figure out. Like from a fantasy perspective, they're always, it's always tricky. Uh, we get we talk ourselves into somebody preseason, and then we end up settling on somebody else who emerges as an option in that offense. But basically just have to go back to like the pure pre-draft evaluation, pure talent standpoint. Fant does have a much higher ceiling than the other tight ends in this uh, range. And um, unfortunately his former college teammate, like we mentioned at the top, uh, TJ Hawkinson, just barely too old uh, to get this list. Otherwise he would have been an even more obvious choice at number two, but without him available, you know, even though I'm not excited about it, I think Fant does stand out as the option here. Yeah, absolutely. That's I think that's really the the only other place to go. Um, so I will uh, wrap this up. Uh, I still have to take a running back. I'm just going to go with uh, Javante Williams, who um, I think it was for him between him and uh, Najee Harris for me. I think Javante Williams is still two years younger than uh, Najee Harris, so uh, he's going to be 22. Uh, the the way he you know is probably maybe split sometimes still um not fully take over that role but what he's able to do when he does have that role uh one of the higher broken tackle rates uh we saw that in college that translated to the nfl um it's just a guy that's i think is going to you know continue to be able to produce and still you know i think significantly younger than than the other running backs um even though some of them are um you know we're, we're drafted higher um but yeah, what, what he was able to do in Denver um, last year. I think they're probably the easy number two. Like I said, it, 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 one of those positions were quite the drop-off between the number one guy and uh, who we took next. Yeah, big drop-off. But some other you know decent names were mentioned. Like you mentioned Najah Harris, Antonio Gibson falls into this category, James Robinson, Josh Jacobs, Travis Etienne also, who we haven't seen. But if you know by the end of the season, he establishes himself as like the clear-cut number two among this group of players – I wouldn't be shocked by that. Um, so that brings me to my final pick at wide receiver. Um, I really struggled with uh, how to address this. The players that I was choosing between, and since it's the final pick, I'll just say CD Lamb, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. Um, and, you know, I'd be happy to have any of those three on my team. Excited about all three of them. But I guess I'll go with Jalen Waddle. Okay. And I'm kind of going against what I've talked about before, whereas like I kind of lean on my pre-draft evaluation a little bit more when dealing with close young players, I had Smith rated higher than Waddle. Um, but Waddle is obviously very productive as a rookie. And so I am also excited about what he did in what was kind of an incompetent offense last year. Yes. And yet he still yep. looks pretty darn good. And now he gets into an offense, which 
couldn't be better suited for his skill set. Right. Daniel is going to basically bring the 49ers offense with him. And although like there's a big there are some big differences between Waddle and Debo Samuel, but in terms of their desire to highlight those types of players and give them opportunities to produce after the catch, that's what Waddle needs. And he was in an offense that did a terrible job of that for him last year. And yet he was still pretty good without even yep. having his strengths highlighted. Now the offense is going to highlight his strengths. So basically what I'm trying to say is like my pre-draft evaluation had some questions that were answered last year. And now I see him with a much higher ceiling based on that. And so I'm going to bump him up a little bit and take him there. And just to throw out some numbers, I mentioned um, uh, yak above expected based on route adjusted metrics and the 49ers, they ranked as a team, they ranked second last year, getting 26% more yak than expected. That's obviously partially based on having a player like Debo Samuel. Right. He's great at it. But Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle also both ranked in the top 10 among pass catchers last year. And they're not the types of players that you would necessarily say would be at that level, like regardless of the system. They're types of players who are being schemed up to a better level by being put into situations that are giving them more opportunities for yak. On the flip side, you have Jalen Waddle, who in college, his final year in college had a was producing 40% more yak than expected, yeah. which again, partially based on an offense, which lends itself to that. Um, but that's also like he's achieving at that high of a level because of that's his skill set. And at last year, he was at negative 14%. So he was getting less yak than expected, despite being the perfect yak receiver. Like that's what he's supposed to do for you. And yeah. And just so incompetent at putting in those situations. It was. And I could. The, the offense was, was so gross. And like, I, I wrote about Jalen Waddle about maybe like halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through the year. And like so much of what, like it was like out routes from the slot and like it used Waddle's speed to use those breaks. And that's what got him separation. But like, they just, they weren't running anything down the field. Like none of that offense was built on things down the field, which is what Waddle can do really well. Like he has some of that geometry changing speed um, like that, that we, we talk about a lot that can win down the field, uh, but he's also like a really good intermediate area guy. And I think like, that's really where it's going to highlight, I think in, in this offense coming up. Uh, and that's, that's really exciting. Um, so yeah, he would have, he would have been my, my guy there also. Um, and like you said, like for what he was able to produce in an offense that like no one should have been able to produce uh, the way he did. Um, and how how it's going to open up, I think he's going to play is so well into into what he does with Tyreek Hill on, on the other side, moving those guys around. It's it, I'm really excited for that offense. Um, all right, so there we go, we did it. Um, we'll uh, we'll run through the rosters real quick. Ryan, as Justin Herbert, Jonathan Taylor, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Noah Fant. Nay Sewell, Sean Slater, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Devin White, Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, Javon Holland, Jeremy Chin. Uh, my roster is Trevor Lawrence, Javante Williams, Justin Jefferson, D.K. Metcalf, Kyle Pitts, Tristan Wirtz, Creed Humphrey, Brian Burns, Rashawn Gary, Nika Parsons, A.J. Terrell, Christian Fulton, Antoine Winfield, Kyle Hamilton. Um, yeah, I think that was, that was a, a fun little exercise there. Um, so uh, we'll... Uh, We'll have some of this up, and I think it's fun to dive into some of these young guys and guys that like we didn't really talk about enough, I think, and we mentioned that as we were bringing them up. Uh, but you know, there's there's some fun uh, young talent in this league, and I think like this list is probably going to look. I mean, by 
guys aging out, but I think like could look different uh, as we, you know, head through the season. So there's, there's some up and coming talent that that's really fun uh, to look at also. So um, yeah, Ryan, uh, thank you for, for doing this. Had a, had a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, we'll probably continue to do uh, some, some stuff like this uh, throughout uh, the off season because uh, it, it, a good way to, you know, talk about some of these guys that we wouldn't have talked about otherwise. Um, so uh, we'll end, end the show here. Uh, you can find uh, Ryan uh, doing some uh, work for us, writing at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can find him at Ryan underscore McChrystal on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Mazuda. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.